He's Rich, and I'm Jason, and this is Remastered. We talk about growing up at the tail end of Generation X, and tonight we're going to offend lots and lots of people by talking politics. Uh, it's time to discuss U.S. and U.K. heads of state in the 80s and 90s. And I'm preparing to, uh, like we said before the show, to to know that uh, there's a lot of ethnocentrism going on. This is a recurring theme on the show where the U.S. doesn't know very much about Britain, but Britain knows a lot about the U.S. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I say that as I'm people. searching Wikipedia. So I, <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I sound more intelligent than I actually am. And sometimes even less so. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared well, for this. Well, this is how bad it is that in the U.S. in the 80s and 90s, we had four presidents. And the U.K. had two uh, prime ministers. And I can only name one of yours. Really? Okay. I knew Thatcher. I had to... I mean, I, I recognized John Major when I looked him up, but I had to go look him up. He was, there was nothing singularly about him that stood out to me. Nor me, nor anybody else he ever met in his entire life. He is the single most boring human being that ever walked the face of the planet. Is that why he was given the reins after Thatcher? He, Did they want someone who was completely milquetoast? I don't know. He's kind of a black hole of a man. I, I think that's the best way to describe him. He, he was just really dim-witted and really slow and the the opposite of anyone that should have been in that position, to be perfectly honest. The, it, was, it was quite handy because, oh God, when John Major, when Tony Blair came along, he just ate him for breakfast. It was it, some of the best parliamentary arguing footage I've ever seen. Have you ever seen footage of Parliament in session? Uh, I've seen very short clips, and it was enough to put me into a coma. So we have. Did you, was was it sort of a general discussion, or was it an actual heated argument? I saw just. Uh, I think it was actually a roll call vote. Right. That that is incredibly boring. Anywhere, that sort of thing. We actually do have some really good arguments that take place, because the way it works, you've got sort of. If if for those of you who don't know. You've got a long room with lots of benches on either side facing the middle. And there's a big table kind of at one end. And then at one far end of the room is the door. And opposite the door is the Speaker of the House, who's basically, it's their job to bat heads together when people don't listen and talk over each other and that sort of thing. They control the room. And you have the government sits on one side and the opposition party sits on the other side. Um, their leaders or appropriate significance will get up to stand at this table in the middle and shout abuse at each other in the most polite way imaginable. But it's a little bit more complicated than that, because if it were the U.S., on one side you'd have Republicans and on one side you'd have Democrats. But in the U.K., you have more viable political parties. You're not a two-party system. Not at all, no. There's, so you will have sort of – so at the moment we've got a coalition government because nobody won the last election. Which would be awesome. That means that all of those powers are balanced against each other so that nobody can have too much control over policy. You, you would think. You would think. But no, it's actually fantastically awful, right? Because basically, you have this... We've got the Conservative Party, who would... Uh, they would arguably have gotten in, 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 in without... It wouldn't have been ludicrous if they'd just outright won. Because we had the Labour government, headed by Gordon Brown, who had lost the election. I maintain par parties don't win elections, governments lose elections. That's what happens. 
Now, for folks who are listening in the U.S., the labor government would be analogous to someone who supports labor unions. Is that right? Originally, back in the day when the party no was, they took a big swing to the right. They are the left wing, if you like, socialist party. They are the party of the working man, but they are far more right wing than their founders would have made that party. So very, very centrist. Much more centrist. Uh, central nowadays but still the the one most people would go for if you if you vote a democrat in the u.s you would be comfortable with the labor party see that's a trend that we've really had to fight here in the united states too is that all of politics is moving gradually to the middle but on the right there's a slower shift toward the middle so while everything is becoming a little bit more civilized at the same time the the average is going to the right right i see also try to understand that over here there pretty much is very little difference between the major parties so that that we have so in in theory you've got the conservative party which are the right wing party you've got the labor party which are the left wing party and the liberal democrats which are sort of supposed to be in the middle but now they're in the coalition government and they're kind of still sort of reeling from the thought that anyone wanted to talk to them at all uh they're basically they now just cow down and do whatever the conservative party tell them to do so it a coalition government works in theory if it's uh run by uh, equally passionate and intelligent and uh i don't know strong individuals whereas if it's run by some strong individuals who beat down the others then it's essentially just the tory party now, you say that nothing gets done now and that it's very centrist and that it's, it's kind of chaotic and uh, no one really has a strong reign. But do you prefer that to the Thatcher years? Well, I, I think there are people who would, saying that, who would say, you see, David Cameron is a big fan of Margaret Thatcher. And he would like to kind of be Margaret Thatcher. And he's doing a lot of bad things along those lines. But the difference, I think, and maybe you can correct me on this because this is just the the perception that we get of your political system is that the the only difference of agreement really between any of the major parties is how much money we put on all the different piles that we've got to put money on other than that we're all pretty cool with everything it's not like one party wants guns for everybody and the other doesn't or one guy says abortion is terrible and the other person does. There are absolutely no polarizing factors like that other than the Tory party would like rich people to have all the money and the Labour party would like more people to have more money. And that's pretty much it. Really. So you all have a collective set of values that you can agree on? That must be nice. To, to some degree, on, certainly on major issues, I would say so, yeah. And obviously... Would you say that religion plays a role in that at all? Is is religion involved in your government at all, in any way, to any degree? No. There, there are... It would be wrong to say there's absolutely no influence. There's no major influence. And it would only be on the sort of... You might individually get a MP who is particularly religious and therefore would be swayed or is friends with a prominent religious person. But generally, no. There's certainly nobody doing anything because God told them or because of any belief in any higher deity or anything like that. There's nothing like that. 
Oh, I'm so envious right now. Yeah. There's just absolutely nothing. Because I, I suppose that that would all come from the fact that generally we're not a particularly religious nation in general anyway. And also you've got the Queen, which is sort of the, the higher, officially the sort of higher power you should look at anyway. You know, God and the Queen. Equally. Mm-hmm. In, in th- no one, I'm not saying I think that and that's what everybody thinks. There'd be nobody. You couldn't find anybody except for a few nutters or drunk people who would say that she is equal to God in some way. But that, you know, go back 300 years maybe. Apportionment of money certainly does have a lot to do with U.S. politics. But at the same time, we're entirely a nation of ideologues, which is terrible because... You have two sets of people, well, really more than two sets, but they all homogenize into two sets of people, the Republicans and the Democrats, who can't agree on on what basic morals and ethics should be. And that creates a lot of problems when you're talking about, should we fight wars? Should we not fight wars? Should we have abortions? Should we not have abortions? Should we help poor people? Should we not help poor people? Should we, you know pee today or should we not pee today it's i mean every little thing boils down to what is right and what is wrong and they try to make it entirely black and white and that's where the problem comes in yeah absolutely i i think so there's so many just there's so many shades of gray really with so many issues that to be so polarized causes a lot of problems i think it 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 makes one side petrified of the others i mean some of the stuff that i see oh, no, on, no, no, on, no, no, no. Do you not think not, not petrified? No, no. Uh, uh, um, vicious, completely malicious toward each other. They're yeah. they're not scared. They want to kill. Right. Which is why a year or so ago you had a Republican media campaign that was showing um, different Democrat-controlled states with uh, gun reticules over them. And then when are you familiar with Gabrielle Giffords? What happened to her? I, I remember this particular case, yeah. I Senator some... in the southwest of the United States who, crazy Republican, went after her, shot her in the head. She suffered severe brain damage and is making a miracle recovery. She's since had to, of course, resign from the Senate. But, I mean, this, this is what it's come down to, is that we hate each other so much because of our politics. We We can't just put that aside. We have to act on it and... If you are someone with mental imbalances or severe social impediments, acting on it can include violence and, and, and in some cases, murder. Right. We, this is where you get bombing, uh, firebombing of abortion clinics, um, terrorism by animal rights groups like PETA. We, we don't have anything like that. The closest we would get to that is you sort of far right extremist parties that or not even no, not parties, groups. Groups of nutters that meet in pubs, like your you, you BMPs and your EDFs or EDLs. One of them, one of those is an electric company, and one is a far right wing group of nutters. Sadly, in our case, some of the forerunners, some of the very people who are seeking to be president, are the extremists, and that's the issue. I would hardly say that of Obama. Obama is not even hardly a Democrat. I mean, Obama is such a centrist. Obama might as well be what Reagan was. They share a lot of of political ideology, um, which shows you the gradual shift from left to right and from right to left into the middle. But at the same time, 
um, Rick Santorum, who only recently dropped out of the Republican contention for, for the presidential candidacy, was someone who advocated such strict restrictions on everyday conduct for everyone. Here, here's a guy who openly was talking about how homosexuality is an abomination, who's openly advocating uh, rolling back some of the women's rights issues in our nation, uh, women's health, uh, access that they have. Uh, even Mitt Romney, who's likely to get the presidential nomination for the Republican Party, is talking about just completely shutting down Planned Parenthood. Really? It's something that he he totally is not... Um, supportive of women in any way, and I don't understand how an entire party can get behind someone like that. That that's just bizarre. So, if you want to be, is it possible in in your political system to be just one guy and become president? No, because you've got to follow the money. I mean, the last time that anyone tried to just be one guy and came anywhere close had any hope in hell of without a party going into the presidency was Ross Perot when he ran against Bush, uh, the first Bush, HW. Right. Um, so and, so he, money aside, I mean, obviously these things build up over, over hundreds of years that this, the, the situation that you now need millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to become president. Well, might, it's very would, much an aristocracy. Yeah. Would, would not, you know, so the, the, just via the rules of the, the system in place, in theory, an individual can become president. In theory. Because you couldn't do that here. That, uh, that, that's the, a major difference. What would you need to do, or what, how would you need to qualify? Well, first of all, you have to have a party. You can't be one guy. And because the, the okay, so here's how it works. The country is broken down into constituencies, which is just sing, uh, general areas uh, represented by an MP, a member of parliament. And that's basically so every area has someone to go and represent that area in parliament, simple as that. And so when we have a major election, everybody goes and votes for who they would like to be the MP in their particular area. And the the party, pretty much with the most number of MPs, becomes uh, the government. And so, for an individual, and so the the and the leader of that party becomes prime minister. And as I've said before, that person can change while the party is still in government. So you can have, like we did when we got Gordon Brown. No one voted for Gordon Brown. It was just that the party changed the leader. That- so when you vote for a head of state, you're not really voting for a head of state. You're voting for a party to represent you. You're yeah. you're voting essentially for a group of ideals. Yes. Okay. That's I mean, it. that makes sense. Uh, I think part of the problem with U.S. politics is that it is very much a cult of personality, which is why this election season, as we're gearing up for the 2012 presidential election, which will happen in November, um, the whole rallying cry for the Republicans is, who will we get that can defeat Obama? It's all about defeating Obama, not putting someone in office that we care about, not trying to get X, Y, and Z passed, not trying to offer protections to, you know, whatever group of people it's, who can we get that will get the black guy out of office? They need a gay guy. (laughs) Oh man. If if Obama suddenly came out and said, look, Michelle is a beard. I, uh, Oh, let me try this. Uh, Michelle is a beard and (laughs) I am very gay. And uh, my gay lover, Taiwan here, uh, he is uh, staying in the Clinton bedroom with me. 
I would just, I would pee my pants. I would jump up and down and squeal. I would clap my hands. I would start chanting. That that would be the greatest joke on the American populace ever. That would be I would incredible. fully endorse it. That would be incredible. Yeah. If it actually, you know, just with, without meaning to talk about Obama much, just when you're done with him, if we could borrow him, <laughs> I would appreciate that. I'm not even that big of a fan of Obama. I've got to be perfectly honest. That's how far to the center things in America have slid. Here's a guy who just absolutely electrified the entire left part of the United States four years ago. And he's very, very he he's just so bland in a lot of ways he's not really calling for anything that's radical back in the 90s under clinton when clinton was running there were really radical things that he was trying to put in place there were very very left leaning we were far far more extremists uh, as far as the democratic party goes back in the 90s than we are now we have tamed down so much that somebody like obama can excite excite us that's true yeah that i i I've kind of noticed it, that there's just no real... There, there was a lot of excitement four years ago that there just isn't anymore. No. And it's it's noticeable. See, you're looking down a bit lately, you know? We are. Not a whole lot has happened. Well, do you know what? We are as well, so it's it's just... I think that's the pro- Everyone. It's not just you guys. Everyone is just sort of a bit <sighs> miffed at the moment. We've had, you know, we've kind of had some up years, and you guys had some good up years, and then some crazy years that you got. We we were kind of in a void. You see, you, you talk about the personality involved in American politics. If you want to avoid personality in any way whatsoever, then British politics is absolutely the way to go. It's is it's, it very much a faceless system? No, not at all. It's just faced by really ugly, boring people who all annoy me without would you say exception. That there's, would you say that there's an element of celebrity to your system? I think they'd like there to be, but there isn't. Hmm. I mean, that's very much the way that it is here. I'm just so surprised that as as active and as energetic as your tabloids are, that that hasn't crossed over into politics. I think it might be. I'd be interested to see. I bet someone's done some study on this. I bet they they are like they are because of the vicious tabloids that we have here. We had that you have we, to be utterly t- just completely toned down. That you have to be so bland and cardboard. They'll eat you alive. I mean, the, the almost straying to on top on topic. The Tory Party of the eighties, not Margaret Thatcher's reign, but John Major afterwards. A big thing for them. They were brought down a lot by what they, what they were, it was all it was all about sleaze allegations and various things like this. There were sleazy people doing dirty things, and there were lots of tabloid photos of various cabinet ministers in wearing drag with prostitutes and various things like that. And that was you know that's that's partly why there are probably no major po- polarizing issues on on sexual politics in this country because they're all up to some weird freaky shit that. That nobody's, no one else is up to anyway. So they're they're not pushing that stuff. They're leaving that alone. But yeah, I think because of the vicious tabloids, they've all just become such bland people, and they are so void of personality. They couldn't not be bland if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's it's really depressingly dull. One thing to be said about Margaret Thatcher, embodiment of evil on this earth as she may have been. <laughs> 
at least she had something about her. You know? At least she had a bit of umph there. Charisma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't piss on her if she was on fire right now, but, you know, to go from her to John Major was just... I think the conservatives really do tap into that. And I almost wonder if it's something that they've learned from religion. If they, because if you watch them, if you watch conservatives, especially in the United States speak, I, I, I don't know about Thatcher, but here they, they very much borrow from the way that preachers deliver messages. Yeah, I noticed that this. type of preaching polemic to, to get in there and try to <coughs> tap into your emotion, tap into your spiritual side, tap into your very core beliefs. Whereas Democrats try to appeal to your reason and to your logic and to your empathy to a degree, but really it's it's very much a religious experience going to a political conference here. See, listening to Margaret Thatcher, as I remember it, because she, you know, when let me just double check when she left power. In no, office 90. until 1990. All oh, right, my God. 11 years. That late. Um, she, she was just angry. When, when you'd see her on the TV giving a speech, it was kind of like you were being told off. Imagine it's like 3 a.m., the police have brought you home and you're drunk. And you, you sat in the kitchen and you, you faced with your dad. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like listening to her give a speech. Righteous indignation. I, I wouldn't have wanted to have an argument with her about anything. At all. Because she'd eat people. See, I don't know how to rectify this because on one hand you're saying that no, religion doesn't play a part in your politics. But at the same time, if it's not religion motivating your conservatives in the UK, then, then what is? What, where did the, does that righteous indignation stream from? I mean, what, what's the authority that they're quoting or, or the moral imperative that they're going back to? The absolute complete belief that they are a better type of human being than the rest of us. That sounds a little bit too close to socialism or to classic Nazism. It is disturbingly close to classic Nazism, but it's not racially based. It's financially based. It's family based. It's upbringing based. That kind of thing. It's it's entirely class based. That is what it is. Disturbing. It's the because... upper classes reigning over the lower classes because that's how it should be. That is entirely conflating wealth with mor- morality. That, Absolutely. I can't believe they, they can get away with that. We were a country that ran under a king for centuries. Yeah, but then you revolt. You took down the monarchy, and now it's very much revered as a symbolic head of state, but you don't use your king and queen anymore. Yeah, but the only reason we got rid of the king was because we had a bit of a playboy party king who couldn't be bothered. And Parliament kind of went to him quietly when he was a bit drunk and like, yeah, can, you know, you like to just like get drunk and shag women and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, well, that's fine, but we've kind of got to run the country and stuff because, you know, there's, there's stuff we need to do. How about you get on being king and the drinking and the prostitutes and the parties and all that? And we'll just run the boring stuff that you don't want to do. And he said, all right, then fair enough. And that was it. There was no massive rising of the peasants or anything like that. You know, the American Civil War ended in 1865, so it's been, what, 147 years since then? And still in the South to this day, there are adherents to the Confederacy. There are people who live out their lives 
wishing and hoping for a day when they can bring back the good old Confederacy and they can separate from the United from the, the North from the Union. They love those ideals. You've got to admire optimism on that level, haven't you, <laughs> to some degree. It's like, really, that is, if you think that, that's great. Good luck with that. Good so luck I'm, with that. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of analogy to that in the UK. Do you still look down on the the, the colonies over across the pond? No, not at as all. As being revolutionary, you know, like rebels? Do, do you believe that we're still just awkward children who have slapped you on the wrist? You guys, yes. Everyone else, no. no. <laughs> so, so you don't like anything or you don't respect anything that, that George Washington said when he was talking about, you know, we, we can't have a new king. We, we're not going to set up a king of the Americas. We're going to have peaceful revolution every four years. In in individually, yes. You you know in, in, in Men in Black when Tommy Lee Jones says a person is intelligent, people are stupid. Yes. Yeah. Individually, yeah, I think that, you know, that's fine. I'm fine with that. We're all fine with that. Stupid on mass, we hate everybody and everything. Don't feel hard done to in any way. We just hate everyone and everything. It's a rather negative national attitude that we have. But we hate everybody equally. And it's actually more an indifference. Really. We'd just rather not bother. Carlos in the chat room says he can speak for that firsthand. He lives in Florida in a small town. I see that a lot, he says. He's talking about the Confederacy. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. We have nothing like that, I suppose, unless you count the Cornish. But they're just a bunch of crazy guys with a load of cider. (laughs) I'm going to get email. Screw you, Cornwall. (laughs) Honestly. I suppose we kind of have what what you don't have is the the Scotland Wales Northern Ireland setup going on. You know, I've never really put a thumb on how you feel about them or how they feel about you. You've never really come together and homogenized. You've never accepted each other as being part of the country. You still view each other as bastard stepchildren and stepfather. I think generally we're we're all fine. We're we're all fine. I think historically the Scottish and the Welsh hate the English, and rightly so, because it's, well, it's it's difficult to travel the world and not find somebody that we've in some way greatly offended. Uh, we don't get invited back a lot of places, the English, really. Once we've left, people are quite happy about it. Ask India. Um, but Wales and Scotland we kind of hung on to, because they're, they're right there. But they are... I don't know, they're, they're very different places, it's fair to say. And we're kind of, they're getting more and more power back uh, to govern themselves, uh, which is a new thing and still quite strange. I'm absolutely fine with it, and I, I've never heard anybody complain about it or seen a negative news <laughs> story about it or anything like that. Again, it's this indifference. It's kind of, well, if I'm all right, do I have to, you want to do that? Do I have to do anything? No, then go ahead, fine. It's, yeah, okay. So the Scottish people want more power over themselves. Fine. It doesn't bother me. I don't. It doesn't affect me. I don't. I'm fine with it. So I've got to reel this back in because I've been wondering ever since you said it. But uh, I know the history books. I've read the Wikipedia entries. I understand with a book knowledge why you and a lot of the leftists in England really dislike Thatcher. But I'd like to hear you tell me what it is about her personally that so offends you because earlier you referred to her as uh, what was it uh, uh, truly evil she's truly evil 
She did lots of bad things. Like, um, give us some examples. Why is Thatcher so bad? Well, I think basically you can look at a couple of really, really bad issues. She She's responsible for basically the, the privatization of all our national industries. So things like electricity, gas, coal, trains, telephones, um, everything was publicly owned. It was owned by the government and by the people until she sold it all off. And Doesn't it work better now? No, not even a little bit. None of it. With the exception. Really? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. The trains are horrific. The ticket prices are... I, I can pay more to go to Edinburgh on the train than it would cost me to come and see you at the moment. Um, so she started all that, privatized everything. Uh, right now, we have a hosepipe ban in Yorkshire. That's how well the water's working at the moment. It, not to give the idea that I can turn on the tap and nothing comes out, but we have a hosepipe ban. Um, you know, I can't, I can't talk to trains and I can't talk to water because both of those are very much public utilities here. Uh, for the most part, there's, there's some privatization that is optional, but I can talk about telephone service because back in the eighties, that was something that was entirely um, public at, well, not necessarily public, but publicized. It was um, very heavily regulated to the point where it might as well have been government-owned. But then the government forced AT&T to break up, and it was antitrust laws that they used to say, hey, AT&T controls too much. There needs to be competition. Right. And it's it's only been good because it's forced so much innovation. It, it brought in competition that drove down phone bills gave you options, gave you choices, eventually led to all the wonderful cell phone use that we have here now. And it's just, it's caught, it's created billions and billions of dollars of wealth. Yeah. It, arguably the privatization of BT has, you know, created millions, if not billions of pounds worth of wealth. Um, but that's great if you're the guy that runs BT. Well, it's great if you're the end user too, because here you, we would never have gotten Verizon. We would never have gotten AT&T, uh, the, the incarnation that it is now, a cell phone service, or T-Mobile, or any of the other providers that are all competing so much that it drives down price and forces them to give you better products. Um, you see, the situation we have is that rather than what has happened as a result is that all of the telephone lines, all of the telephone lines are owned by BT. And so anyone who wants to be a phone provider in competition with BT either needs to lay their own lines throughout the country or pay wholesale price for line rental to British Telecom. And all of our internet works like that as well. So you can go with any service provider in this country, but ultimately your service is provided by BT. And so... In privatizing them, it actually created a monopoly of one service, pretty much. <laughs> we have somewhat of the same issue where we have the final mile, final mile provider issue where, hey, look, in most cities, either Comcast or Time Warner owns all of the cable lines and any competitor will have to rent the last mile or rent or install the last mile from the last or the most the closest transceiver or the closest substation or the closest trunk line to your house down your street. 
and that ultimately causes either Comcast or Time Warner to rake in the money there. But uh, it, that's why there are alternatives like Dish. Uh, we have things like Windstream here. You know, different uh, different technologies that have come up. Verizon offers cell phone. Uh, internet access, that sort of thing. So it differentiates, it causes different technological innovation. I think it's all been good from that standpoint. Right. Yeah, we've had none of that here. And and arguably it's caused more problems in the other industries that were privatized because they're privatized. It doesn't in any way create competition. Well, there was no competition when it was government owned, right? When it was <laughs> a public utility. Well, no, but everything was cheaper then and it uh. worked. And there was no there was no market pressure for them to ever improve their infrastructure, though. No, but as long as it worked, then it was okay. Well, that's not good enough. Is that you don't, yeah, ju- but you don't just want it to work? You want it to work really, really well. Absolutely. The trouble is, is that what they did didn't create any competition either. For example, the trains. Mm-hmm. You you didn't get suddenly a situation where different companies were running trains on different lines it was broken up and one company was awarded a different geographical area of the country and so there is no competition if you're going from place x to place y you have to take the train that goes from there and that is operated by one company and then if you want to go into place z you have to get on the other company's train and go that way and so it all kind of meshes together into what is a functioning rail network kind of a little bit but it in no way creates competition or drives down pricing or improves services. In fact, having been on trains throughout Europe, throughout America, ours is the worst public transport system I've ever been on, particularly the trains. It's, <laughs> it's horrific. Yep. yep. That no said, argument with you there. That said, there's no one sitting on the roof and things like that. You know, there, you, could, you could get worse. But uh, that at least those people wouldn't charge you as much money to be as uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's one thing. Uh, she, Margaret Thatcher did lots of other things. There was all this stuff with the miners. Uh, just shut down anything that could have been classed as industry. All our production industry. The reason why you don't find any factories here uh, anymore is because of this woman. There was a, How would she have shut it down? What steps would she have taken to do that? I'm not entirely 100%. I, I'm, I'd have to get details from the Wikipedia page. Because this seems like an awful lot of power for one person to wield, or one party even to wield, to be able to shut down industry. I, uh, I'm not sure how that would be accomplished. Right, let me find what I'm looking for. Um, domestic affairs, economy, industrial relations. Thatcher was committed to reducing the power of, uh, power of trade unions whose leadership she accused of undermining parliamentary democracy and economic performance through strike action. Several unions launched strikes in response to legislation introduced to curb their power, but resistance eventually collapsed. Um, minor strike was the biggest confrontation. Uh, she destroyed collective bargaining. Right, okay, so we have, in March 1984, the National Coal Board proposed to close 20 of the 174 state-owned mines and cut 20,000 jobs out of 187,000. Mm. So she started unemploying people and, you know, closing things down and then privatizing them. 
Which is actually that, what Hitler did in the build-up to World War II with Germany's well, national. What's scary is that that's what a lot of Republican politicians are trying to do here now, too, with public employees. For, for example, in Ohio here last year, there was a huge, huge fight over what's called Senate Bill 5, which was a Republican initiative uh, headed up by the governor, another Republican, surprise, surprise, Kelsey yeah. Freeze, who uh, wanted to basically take away all of the power of any public employee, including school teachers, firefighters, police officers, uh, and in some cases, healthcare professionals to bargain collectively for their pay and for their benefits, and also the, disallowing any kind of strike. So school teachers, in particular, this was extremely, extremely bad for them because there's no way for them to actually be protected anymore. Police officers, of course, can't strike. Firefighters can't strike. It's something that they're, they've never been allowed to do because of public safety. Yeah. You can't just have firefighters say, no, fuck it. We're going to let the burning, uh, building burn down. We do the have striking firefighters, not police. Yeah. yeah. But, but school teachers could always walk out if they wanted. And the yeah. governor was like, oh, fuck that. Those bitches. <laughs> it's, it's another very uh, anti-intellectual kind of stance that they've taken. And in Wisconsin, it passed. In Ohio, it was struck down. So mixed results around the country. Very high-profile thing. And in New York, the governor right there is really trying to put the same kind of corkscrews to a lot of workers, including like prison workers, um, uh, public utilities workers, that sort of thing. It's 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 a scary time, so I can understand why people were so pissed off at Thatcher. Yeah, it was it was horrible. And have you been able to hear this idiot cat, by the way? Only a little bit, and only just in the last minute or two. If okay, that. he's been screaming the All whole right. time. Um, she also did lots of other bad things as well. I mean, there was the one everybody moans about is she took the milk off the kids in the school. Yeah, I've heard this a hundred times, and I've still never entirely understood. Is It sounds like a very emotional thing. She yeah. took away something that you'd always had. Do you know what? Getting milk at school was a special thing. We the, Correct me if I'm wrong. The impression we get of you guys from popular media is that you love your milk for kids. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We, we don't have quite the obsession with milk that you guys have, by any means. It's, uh, very, it's a very homespun thing. It's yeah. something that's very accessible to everyone and nutritious. And so it's it's a it's a common thing that ties everybody together. And yes, in school, everybody had their special milk break in the early grades, kindergarten, first, second grade, where they would bring the cart around. Yeah. You could choose whether you wanted skim, whole, 2%, chocolate. Everybody would get it. You would open it up, your stupid little carton, and stick your straw in, and everybody would share a moment where you, you weren't arguing. You weren't being forced to learn something. You were all just having fun. And yeah, I, I can see it's something that binds everyone together. It's it's a, a common activity. Yeah, that's exactly what we had. Not Warm anymore. Fields. Not anymore. That was gone. Do, was, do, do you recall what the rationale was for her taking it away? Not at all. And I, I think by the time it was taken away, I was beyond the age when I would have had it anyway. Yeah. So I I'd, I'd never noticed it, it go away, but I remember... I was very emotional about it, because you've brought this up time and again. Yeah, it's a big thing. Why, why would you do that? That's just sick and twisted, isn't it? That's, well, it's, that's it's like the, it's so low on the priority list that I can't think of any reason to, to rationalize it. Yeah, it's just... just get rid of, like, I don't know, building tanks. Exactly. Isn't it, like, aren't there a million things you can cut from any budget before you take a bottle of milk off a kid? That's just harsh. 
And that's it's things like that that make you think this woman was a real bitch. I mean, the the the, the oh god, what was the name of the boat she blew up in the Falklands? There was another famous case uh, during the Falklands War. There was a standoff situation. There was a, an Argentinian uh, boat that was retreating and she ordered its destruction anyway. And that was another big thing. <laughs> um, like, oh, she, she, they're running away, but she, she ordered them all killed anyway, which was fine. Um, she sounds bloodthirsty. Vicious, horrible, nasty woman. Not someone you'd want as your gran. She sounds very much more close to Bush too than she does to Reagan, which I think is who everybody compared her to in the eighties. Did did you always think of her as being like the lady Reagan? Uh, no, we we thought and uh, maybe Reagan of being the lady Thatcher. Hmm. Really? Just That's because she was <laughs> fucking vicious, man. You honestly. Honestly you can't get I'm just looking at these pictures of her on Wikipedia and it brings up fear. At least Reagan, when he smiles, you think he might genuinely be happy. Well, I was going to say, whatever you want to say about Reagan's politics, he was a very smart and a very funny guy. And I would say more than 50% of the time he was politically misguided. But at least there were frequently times when both Reagan and H.W. Bush would show compassion. See, I, I mean, you can't deny that. There, there were parts of humanity of them that you don't see in your conservative Republican or your conservative candidates here anymore right i i didn't see any there was no real human side to margaret thatcher perhaps some sort of reagan attachment side but not human side i, I definitely see the side in ronald reagan i know very little of his politics i know he was a, a right-wing politician and an actor and all of that there's the the nuclear disarmament stuff with gorbachev mm-hmm. and all that and that can't be a bad thing but, you know, on the other hand, you think, well, he was a right-wing American politician. Mm, he probably. wasn't really, though. I mean, everybody nowadays, the, the conservatives all bow down to Reagan three times a day like they're facing Mecca or something. But I, they're, they're really ignoring how leftist he was because Reagan started out his political career as a Democrat. Right. Dirty secret. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was on the left. And he did a lot of things that Obama's trying to do today. He he tried to raise taxes on millionaires, right. signed progressive abortion laws, he started immigration amnesty programs. Uh, I mean, he did a lot of things that were extremely Democrat in office. And conservatives these days just turn a blind eye to that, pretend that it never happened. They focus on his crazier years toward the end of his presidency when he started really rambling. And I, I think that's when the maybe slow mental decline started because he was a gentleman who died of Alzheimer's yeah. later in life or suffered from it at, at the very least. I, I think that that was very much starting to inform his politics as he grew older. And like I said, Reagan was smart, but he wasn't the cold hearted jackass that you hold Thatcher up to be. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the impression I have. Am I right in saying he survived an assassination attempt, didn't he? Sure did. In shot. 19- 81 maybe or was it you see my my hat goes off to anyone who was shot and lives straight away there's some respect there regardless of of anything else fair play to you but see that's another thing we've not had a political assassination here for a good while not 
suggesting anyone do it. I'd like that there hasn't been one. But then you don't get the films about it afterwards. I don't know. I'm oh, looking up, trying to find it right now because when he was shot, I can't remember exactly what it is. Oh, that's what it is. Here's how smart and funny Reagan was. Uh, and this might be an urban legend. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's ever been confirmed. But when he was taken to the hospital to have, to have the bullet removed, he looked over at the doctors and said, I hope you're all Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. For a guy who's just been shot, that's yeah. a fucking funny thing to say. I've read quite a few Ronald Reagan quotes that I find to be quite funny, to be honest. I, I, I think he had some good writers. Or or maybe it was, you know, like you say, he's a funny guy. If, I mean, he did have good writers. That's empirically true. But at the same time, he was very, very quick on his feet. And I, even though I become more and more Democrat every single day, I still have a lot of respect for Reagan. And a lot of my friends don't like that. A lot of the people who I talk to about politics, they want to demonize Reagan so bad. Right. I don't know enough about him to get upset about it. I'm reading his war on drugs section, though, and everything uh, in it would make Alison angry. Insanity. All yeah. of it. Every single word. Um, yeah, that's just a... And is it? St- it's still that, isn't it? Actually, oh, yeah. this just yeah. just say no mandatory minimum penalty for drug offenses. Right. Although we're starting to become more and more lax on the West Coast about how that's handled. California and the federal government have been having a showdown for the last few years about legalizing marijuana. I'm sure that you're up on this. Yeah. But uh, California has pretty much said, well, we're just going to tacitly have cops look the other way. And I've heard stories from people who visited California saying, yeah, you can just sit in the park and smoke, a, uh, you know, whatever you want. And the cop will walk by and kind of smile and, and go his own way. If you're shoving a needle into your arm, it's going to be different. Yeah. But marijuana, every study you look at, it's just proven that it's really harmless. It's completely an analog to alcohol with some of not, not all of the same side effects. I mean, I, I think you could make a pretty good argument that it's less damaging in some ways than alcohol is. I agree with all of this. I, I think it's it's far better than alcohol. Far, 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 far better than alcohol. I'm not a fan of alcohol. Which is now, weird. that being said, I have a real distaste for smoking anything. Oh, I can understand that. That's That's an entirely different thing. But there's many weird and wonderful ways by which one can imbibe marijuana, you know? It doesn't... It doesn't have to be smoked. It doesn't even have to be smoked if you want to inhale it. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've seen the Americans in the coffee shops in Amsterdam with their big eyes <laughs> all excited <laughs> for, for, for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Then, I, then I think, hung down. Just I think quiet. very much that uh, marijuana will probably be legalized within the next 50 years here. It, it should and I be. know that that's casting a large net. I mean, 50 years, yeah. And, and that's a Nostradamus-sized prediction. But at the same time, <clears throat> I think it will take that much time for the politics to be erased that have been so ingrained on the hearts and souls of everyone in the middle of the country. Absolutely. You see, Margaret Thatcher is actually responsible for the existence of needle exchange in this country. Not so she I've did something good. This was the thing, although... <clears throat> you see, you really want Alison to tell you this story because she's told it me a thousand times. It's it's one of those. But basically, 
it was an, a classic example of of how you and I, I think this is mainly how British politics gets done from my point of view, other than by giving people money and taking them to expensive lunches and things like that. Uh, it was shown how things could affect them, basically. And it was shown that, you know, you didn't have to be gay to get AIDS. Anybody could get AIDS and drug use and, and sharing needles is how you get AIDS. And, and those people could give it to anyone and they leave the needles everywhere. And and so, and apparently the response from her was, so I could get AIDS. Yeah. Well, then we'd better do something about it then. That was it. So judge for yourself whether that's a good thing she did. It's a, it's a tricky one, that, isn't it? You want to think, oh, she did a good thing. Yeah, she, she kind of did. It's the motivation behind it that means whether she's a nice person or not. Yeah, and it was done for purely selfish reasons. She didn't care that gay people were getting AIDS or that drug users were getting AIDS. She cared that they were potentially giving it to her and her family and her grandchildren, whatever. So that's when the the decision was made. But on the plus side, now we have needle exchange, which is good because Alison has a job. Otherwise, she'd just be unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> maybe more people would have AIDS and stuff like that. I don't know. Well, maybe you should raise a glass to Thatcher in her honor. Yeah, we do. It's it's kind of like I feel it's like when Bob Cratchit's thanking Scrooge for the Christmas dinner. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he provided it, but it's crap. That's the irony there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. and uh, my mind always goes back to the Mickey's Christmas Carol version of the Bob Cratchit Christmas dinner. When he's, that's exactly what springs to my it, mind. Everyone when, mentions it too. When he carves a pea in half. And he's oh, that's horrible. Thank him though. Oh. So that's what that was. There you go, eighties British politics. That's it was it was so angry. All of it. The nineties got better towards the end, and then we had a few years of happy. I'm glad it got better for you. Because here we just went into the whole Clinton explosion. Was Clinton and, not good? Uh, it depends on who you talk to and what the terms of your measurement are, because Clinton did a lot of damage to the Democratic Party. I mean, uh, th there's no way to disprove that. It's it's true in every way. His actions in office were very irresponsible. I mean, his personal actions, but he did he did so much politically that was just visionary. Right, like what, for example? Well, Clinton came closer to any uh, closer than anyone else to solving the deficit. Right. Um, it was almost completely leveled off before congressional Republicans stepped in and boosted it again. You know those Republicans who all the time are harping on how we have to control spending and reduce reduce the deficit and be more responsible for, um, with our fiduciary means. But if you look every time that they're in office, boom, the deficit goes up. It's they, they can't help it, probably. It's like when I don't get up early. It's like, I know I should. And I, I really do want to, but it just doesn't happen. Maybe that's how it is for them. I guess. I mean, that's very forgiving from where I sit, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... But Clinton, I mean, Clinton was great with money. I mean, he, he did what Obama's trying to do now. He raised taxes on the top 1%, just like Reagan did. Yeah, he uh, he helped 15 million people at the very bottom of the ladder. He didn't do a whole lot for the middle class, but nobody really does. No, uh, but the middle he, class he are fine anyway. Don't worry about the middle class. 
Well, they're just bearing the burden for everyone. Yeah, I suppose. I'm not middle class side, and again, I don't believe it. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm comfortably in the lower middle class, and I can't complain too terribly much. I, I think that the system is entirely broken, but it's not killing me. You have a Mario World mural on your wall, dude. Life's not bad. I know. It's fine. I know. Don't worry. That's what I said. You know, it's, it's it's not destroying me. I'm not living in poverty. Yeah. So it's all I, good. I do think that the people who have very large mansions should be carrying their weight, but that's a discussion for a different day. I would think that unless I had a very large mansion. <laughs> well, that's always the case, isn't it? Yeah. And so for that reason alone, I was like, I despise the, the large mansion owners for not wanting to carry their weight, but I, I get it. It's the classic prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's, it's easy to hate rich people because I'm not rich. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd be very happy being rich. And I don't hate rich people. I respect rich people. A lot of them have worked very, very hard. There, there, there is this logical fallacy in the United States right now that all rich people have been born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And while that is true for a large part of the, upper, the very upper top rung, it's not true for all of them. And, and I do respect a lot of people who have worked their asses off their entire lives oh, absolutely. to make things better for the fr- their families. But at the same time, there needs to be some sort of equitable contribution to our tax base. You can't have the, the people who are making $40,000 a year cover all of the costs for the country. It's, it, it is not working. No, that, that doesn't work. Absolutely. I mean, measurably, right now, you can look at the way things are and say, no, it, it is not working. How long do you think that it's sustainable to keep on pretending that it is? I, do you know what the, the issue with taxes is, is? I actually see it as a, it's an obvious solution that the more money you make, the more tax you pay. That, I, I, I don't see that as anything other than a right and wrong black and white situation. That is how it should be. For it to not be like that, just doesn't make sense and i you know i i often wonder i think our top rate of tax in this country is 40 percent, and you start paying that when you earn something i believe it's something like thirty-five thousand pounds a year you're talking just income tax just income tax i pay pretty damn close to that right so i mean if, if you were to look at all the state local school district and federal income tax that I pay, it's about 32%. Right. Compare that to Mitt Romney, who in his disclosure earlier this year, 13%. It's it's just crazy. But, I mean, I, I, the, the issue I have with our, our, our situation here is that every, so everybody that earns over £35,000 a year pays 40% tax, which is not fair, I don't think. I You know... Okay, technically. So if I earn £35,000 a year and I pay 40% tax, then I'm paying financially less money and the same proportion as somebody who earned a million pounds a year. But maybe that person who earned a million pounds a year should pay 80% tax. Wait, 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 wait. What's the name of the guy who owns Virgin? Richard Branson. Richard Branson pays what you pay in taxes. Yeah. If we did that in the United States, there would be no problems. Right. I mean, we that would provide enough money to solve global warming within like three years. 
I think someone worked it out once that if we raise taxes on the richest one percent by like four percent or something ridiculous like that, we could solve global. We would have enough tax revenue to solve global warming within like five years. Well, this is another issue that we've got at the moment. That the the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who is the guy in charge of the money, if England was a company, he'd be the CFO, right? Mm-hmm. He's basically. Sat up, bolt up right in bed one morning and gone, bloody hell. All these rich people don't pay any tax. <laughs> it just occurred to him. <laughs> I just, it just, I've just realised. And he woke up, why is there no one else paying any tax? And he looks around and he realised that the reason for this might be because he knows most of them and they've all taken him to lunch recently. And and other things like that. They're trying to go, oh, it's because they're they're funneling money off into different places so you pay some to charity and you give some to your wife who's technically your PA or something and mm. other things like that and so they've you know they're trying to they're, they've suddenly decided that they're going to close all these tax loopholes or have a massive panic about it which is very weird because as I say the, the right wing party would be mates with most of the people doing these things but I mean the one example that's being trotted around uh, Amazon did seven billion pounds worth of business in this country last year and paid no tax. Things like that, and so they're they're going to start jumping on people, or maybe they'll make it look like that. They've got to do something to make themselves more popular again. See, it's not a hidden secret here. There's there's no point in time where someone would ever sit up straight in bed and say, "Oh my God, this is what's happening." Everyone knows that that's what's happening in the United States as well. Oh, he knew that was what was happening the, here. It's just yeah, public I, I <laughs> opinion, and that's what he knows. He I'm, knows. I'm just saying that here, the problem is that the people who own those businesses and the politicians are all fucking each other. I mean, they're just in bed. They're just making little babies all the time. Yeah. All the time. And you just got to follow the money. That's what's happening. The, the large corporations in the United States are buying off government, and that's why anyone who was ever elected – has to have money to get elected and in order to get money you've got to do what the companies tell you to and that's why tax loopholes in the united states will never be closed can never be closed and why campaign finance reform will never happen so the question is is that a bad situation or is that just the way it is and maybe if we were quite open and honest about it then it wouldn't be an issue no it's a terrible situation because what it means is that (gasps) it is very much an aristocracy controlled by the few people who have money and that your vote means essentially nothing. You can vote for Obama or you can vote for Romney or you can vote for whomever you wish in the next election. But as long as the company can give $10 million to a candidate and you can give, what, like three, $400 that you can rustle up, the company's needs will always come above yours. Yeah. See, my, I don't know, I kind of, maybe this is a bit defeatist, just kind of accepted that maybe that's how it was and I should I should try and this is why I run a business actually is is a sad attempt to sort of n- the the knowledge that if you know businesses have power in particular in this country media hello that that's that's you know partly motivation there but I I agree with you I hate the game absolutely not that I'm much of a player in it either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I I, I it's a very strange tightrope to walk because I don't hate businesses for having power and I don't think that all power should be stripped away from businesses. But at the same time, 
when the power is so disproportionately spread that the people who don't have money can't participate in the political system, then the system needs to go. But be, to be replaced with what? Now that's the problem. There, There is no real other system. But I do have a solution I'd like to suggest. I'm happy to hear any possible solution. The United States Constitution guarantees the right in the Bill of Rights to lobby, to petition your government. It does not include the right to use money to do so. So what I'd like to suggest is that every person, every person, and remember in this scenario, companies are not people, which is a strange thing to have to add, but the Supreme Court recently ruled that companies are people. They, they are here. Yeah, that's, always, that's always, bullshit, Rich. always have been. I, I don't, I don't know when it's ever been different. But the solution is to say that you can give one dollar per year to whomever you want politically. Not ten million, not ten thousand, not one hundred, not twenty billion, not whatever you want. One dollar per year for each person in the United States. That's, and I think that's enough. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. I think we should do that here, actually. Not that they seem to spend that much money. We don't do anything well or big. <laughs> you know, they might paint a bus. That might that might be something they do. Posters, I don't know. We but just, I'm just saying, petition, petition government all you want. Lobby all you want. Speak to the people who run the country. But that does not mean buy them off. There's a very big difference between... Paying a senator a million dollars to get what you want. If if you're Exxon or if you are a defense contractor, you can't just buy political favors. Limit it to one dollar. That would stop that kind of blatant, blatant bribery. It would. I wonder if we have actually similar laws. Is there anyone English in the chat room that would know this? Is Elton there? Is Elton the Elton I think he is or is he a different Elton? I think he might be a different Elton. Sorry, Elton, I don't know. Uh, I I'm don't know really we, sure that Liam's English as well. I don't know if we have any laws around that. It, I don't know. It kind of seems like we should, or what? I don't know. I don't know. But that sounds like a good solution for you guys, absolutely. With that. I contend that money is the single largest problem in American politics today. Forget partisanship. Forget the abortion issue. Forget liberal judges versus conservative judges. Forget who accused who of sleeping with whom. It's money. Follow the money trail, and that's always going to be the problem. Right. Because I'm convinced that most politicians don't even believe the things that come out of their mouths. I mean, Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney, they're both smart guys, qualified guys who have gone to very prestigious schools. They can't possibly believe the things that are vile, vile, anti-feminine trash that they're spewing or anti-intellectual, just complete bullshit that's coming out of them all of the time, every news cycle. I'm so glad we don't have anything like that at all here. We just, there's just nothing. Nothing. It's, it's so dull. It's, it. Honestly, you you can't understand. I, I it's so it amazes me how different the systems are. It really does. Um, this is this is actually why I didn't vote. That might anger some people. The whole idea of not voting. There was. It, it does anger me. 
because even if your choice is a shitty guy or a really shitty guy, you should at least go for the route that does the least harm. I I see your argument. I, I you know do what you can to prevent more harm from being done. Yeah, I I th- I think we just found ourselves, and I think a lot of the country would agree with me on this one, and it's why we got the result in the last election that we did was that no one had any good ideas. Everyone was equally screwed. In in various ways, I, I, there wasn't a good way to deal with any problems whatsoever, and nothing was going to happen. We, we were just... It, on, honestly, the general mood of this country at the moment is so demotivated and down and miserable and has been for the last three years or so. Do you think that that's just a natural side effect of, of economic hardship? I mean, it seems like demoralization is something that would be an obvious side effect of not having any kind of cash flow. I would, I think so. And I think it's a, a symptom of the government that we've got. I think we seem to go in ups and downs as a nation. I, I could be wrong. This is just how I've seen it, that we seem to have... It, it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of like we have one strict parent and one easygoing parent and the strict parent makes you do your homework and gives you extra homework and really grinds you down and becomes a pain and then maybe goes out and you get the fun parent for a little while until maybe you've had a bit too much ice cream and you've been sick and you're tired and crying and that sort of thing and then the strict parent comes along for a while and we're in the miserable strict parent period at the moment yeah. If we're going to use this analogy, I'd say that in the U.S. we have the parent who's really disorganized, and even though they're really smart, they can't ever get their fucking act together and do anything positive. And then the other parent who just wants to come into your bedroom in the middle of the night and rape you until you bleed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That 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 seems that that's the impression we get. <laughs> I mean, not to be too, uh, too too graphic about it, but that's that's really what's happening. If you if you look at so many of the bills proposed in the last two months, are just aimed at hey, Republicans want to take things away from you. <laughs> uh, we don't want you to have birth control anymore. We don't think that women should do X, Y, and Z. We don't think that you should have the freedom of speech in these cases. Let's establish free speech zones in and around these areas. I suppose the question that I would ask as an outsider is what is so fucked up in your society that you've got all these things that you need to take away? God. Right, okay. I mean, that's what it all boils down right. to. And um, Huge secret, let's all get it out there. I'm an atheist. So what I have to say about Christians is not going to be too flattering. But the the huge problem is that people think that God talks to them, Rich. That God wants them to do things. And in civilized society, in educated society, we call that schizophrenia. Yeah. But in political society, we call it moral activism. Right, I see. I see. And family values. Right. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't really, we don't really have that. We, we have some, family values is a nice sort of argument of the right, but uh, an old one. That sort of thing. We could maybe do with some, actually, as I think of my neighbor and their children. 
<laughs> I think th- there is no argument there. I mean, the, yes, families definitely need to be stronger, but making political mandates to say what families should be and how they should act and what what rules families should impose on themselves and what morality is, that's a bad idea. Exactly. I I just think our government, to some degree, have enough sense to know that they're not people to be judging morality i i think is is the general issue so i i, th- I think we we don't seem to have any anything like that the last thing i can think of that remotely comes close to that is when they passed a law about uh overly violent sexual images on the internet and that was a couple of years ago and that was that was the last major sort of a morality based almost sort of thing that I remember. And even that wasn't really a government proposal. That was a protesting parent of a, a dead person. Every but, single political issue here, no matter what it is, will somehow be tied up in what God wants. And that's a terrible, terrible thing because, well, let's examine it. I grew up a Republican. Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, until I started thinking for myself, I was raised as an evangelical Christian, and the two, Republicanism and conservative evangelicalism, are so tied together in the United States that they're virtually, you, you, virtually indistinguishable. That you can't pull them apart. It's like um, it's like mixing sugar into water. Once it's mixed in, you can't get the sugar back out. That's what the problem is. But surprisingly, in the United States, if you're a Christian, that means embracing politics that are opposite Jesus' teachings. Because the Republican Party has somehow magically, sadistically convinced Christians that selfishness and self-interest are the way to go. And if the Bible really informed the political views of Christians, Christians would all be Democrats. Because think about it, forgiveness, turning the other cheek— Embracing people who aren't like you, paying your taxes, yeah. um, giving what you can afford to give, treating people of different lifestyles and different um, cultural backgrounds with respect, um, not d- depending on legalism. Those are all things that Jesus, if he was real, which I doubt, was propo- a proponent of. And those are all things that Democrats get behind, but not Republicans. Republicans have all gotten in, in bed with Ayn Rand. Right. See, I'm just looking up now um, the religion section of your country compared to mine because I'm getting the feeling that we have a bigger... I, I'd be interested to see the mix of religions that we have um, because I just think you couldn't push Christian issues here. Well, I think the people there probably think very differently about religion, that it's a cultural component and not necessarily a spiritual one. Right. And in the United States, there aren't many people who are willing to put up with this shit that religious makes them do if they don't believe in it. Right. So It's, co- it's not something that you just passively observe because your mom and dad did. It's, it, it's something that if you don't believe it, then you leave it behind right we just so ignore religion you know we we, i don't know it it feels like islam is is becoming a a prevalent 
part of culture. I look up here, it's sort of 2.8% of the population, which is... Oh, that's the 2001 census, so it will be higher than that now, but not much. Surprisingly, um, that's a little bit larger than what Judaism is in the United States, yeah. I believe. Let's have a look. Judaism in the United States, 1.7%. Yeah. So, but again, that's not going to be, that's not people converting to Islam. That's people who are Islamic coming here. Because hmm. um, I think, you know, in, in terms of immigration into the country, we probably have, we probably, I, I'd be interested to see the mix of people that we get coming here compared to you overall. I, I'd be willing to bet we get a much bigger mix purely for geographical reasons. I was going to say yes, and probably a much more even distribution than we do too, because I'd be willing to wager that there's a huge, huge Islamic component to urban areas here, but you're not going to find them in um, Missouri or yeah. <laughs> Mississippi. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's it's rare that you would go to anywhere here and not see a, a quite a mix of people. Um. You know, unless, again, Cornwall. Yeah, the last place I was when I remember wa walking around the supermarket and realizing there was no one even remotely darker skinned than me there. Uh, but that's that's because Cornwall's, I don't know. It's, don't go there. That's the sense. If I given the impression I don't like this place, it tried to kill me. It blew my tent away. I've said this before. <laughs> I, no love, no love lost with between me and Cornwall at all. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you couldn't push the Christian thing here. I don't think you'd uh, you'd offend large large portions of voters. Large portions of voters like that. Hopefully, it is becoming that way here as well. Because in a recent survey, almost a third of people in the United States self-identified as being atheist or agnostic. So that is a huge, huge improvement over ten years ago. The trouble with us atheists is we tend to be quiet. We don't make as much noise as the religious people. Well, that's just part of being educated. You share a mutual respect for cultures that aren't yours. But um, I, I was actually recently talking with someone about this on Facebook. You, you know Greg Blanchard, right? I do. Greg's a great guy. And at the risk of doing the no true Scotsman fallacy, I'd say that Greg is no true Christian in that uh, – if he were in an evangelical church talking about what he believes, they would just stare at him like he was an idiot. But he comes at it from a very educated perspective, and I can respect a lot of things that Greg says. But at the same time, that's not what Christians believe here. And it's, it's very disheartening to look at the two and hold them up next to each other. And I don't know where I was going with this line of thought, but <laughs> 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 that's this. Uh, but we were talking about um, – I think it was Greg who posted on Facebook. I, I can't believe. Oh, no. You know what? It might have been Scott Redman. But he said uh, something along the lines, whoever it was, I can't believe that atheists are um, posting on or about Easter about how stupid Christianity and the, the Christian uh, morality play is. And I posted back that um, you know, I, I think it's okay to call out bigots when bigots say something stupid. Yeah. I would agree with you there. <laughs> do we have any... What else do we have to cover? We, this has been a long show. 
Oh, yeah. We've gone on forever. We didn't talk much about Bush 1. I think that's fine. He was a very vanilla president. He was a bit, wasn't he? He was just the one term as well, wasn't he? Right. right. Just years and out. But he did some smart things in those four years, especially for being someone of an opposition party. Um, he showed a measure of wisdom in Iraq or by dining not to go there that his son didn't ever show. So. Well, it was can all... respect him for not for not leaving the Kuwaiti borders. Yeah, would you put any? I have to ask this: Have you ever seen any documentaries about the like the Bilderberg Group and all this secret government behind all these people, particularly Margaret Thatcher, Bush one, all this sort of thing? John Major was said to be a major player in in this sort of the secret world government. Which I'm almost was, sure that the documentary was called The Skulls. There are Pacey from Dawson's Creek. No, no, it was that no. These were actually presented as, as documentaries. I've not seen anything based on factual analysis, but yeah, there is this big conspiracy theory that the New World Order kind of thing, that there's a secret society behind all of political action that controls who becomes powerful and who goes in office and who gets the money. And I think that it's ridiculous because Modern political systems and economics are just too fractured and chaotic for any one group to be able to control any kind of interaction that would be meaningful. My, there, there's, there's too many variables going on, Rich. I I just think, that, and this is the one thing I've always said and never gotten an answer from the conspiracy theorists who think that there is a secret world government. And my question is, Why? Why would you want to do that? Does that not sound like a massive fucking headache? Like, and, and what would you get? What would you, as an individual, if you were secretly running the world on a day-to-day -day basis, how would that make your life better than someone who was just, say, insanely rich? That's the way that I think about anyone who wants to run for president, though. Why would you do that? What could you possibly stand to gain, apart from the millions and millions of dollars that you would rake in for the rest of your life? Woo! But look at how you age in office. Look at Clinton before he went in and after he went out of office. Yeah. You, you aged 30 years in eight. Absolutely. Tony and Blair's another good example of that. Major psychological scarring, too. I can't imagine having to bear the burden of responsibility that those guys do. No, it must be nightmarish, to say the least. So and they do know things that we don't know, things that probably give them nightmares all the time. Military threats, terrorist threats, briefings that they're getting from who's got dirty bombs where, what's the what's the Al Qaeda threat this week, you know, who's what what's going on at the borders. That's got to just tear them up inside. I can barely sleep at night when I've got to do something in the morning for work. Exactly. So why would you want to secretly run the world? Because on top of all of that problem, first of all, you're not just doing it for a country. You're running the world, which I imagine is harder. And also, you've got to do it in secret. That's that's a nightmare in itself, doing anything in secret. And, <laughs> and what are you going to do? You, you're going to go and get really rich and buy the same fucking iPad that everybody else is, is what you're going to do. I it's think a good rule of thumb, Rich, is that uh, if you ever run into anyone who wants to be in control, that's a person who should ultimately never be allowed anywhere <laughs> near control. This is my argument about the police. But that's, that's for another time. Yeah, I feel much the same way, and I've been very unpopular for saying that. If, if you're someone who meets the psychological, psychological prof profile 
of wanting to become a police officer or wanting to become a, a soldier or a member of the military. That's pretty scary. I mean, you're basically stepping forward and being and saying, yes, I want to be responsible for killing people. Yeah. I did. But then if you're going to put it like that, don't you find it weird that there's a government that says, well, we, you shouldn't kill people. Well, you shouldn't kill Unless our people. Right. <laughs> we, we it's can the same say, argument I have yeah. against God. You, you want to kill people? We can send you over there. You can kill all the people you want. Just don't just kill these people. <laughs> just as a disclaimer, I know some awesome cops. I talk yeah, to them on I, a regular basis. There are some awesome people wearing a badge. So don't think that it's a blanket statement. Don't get upset that your dad is a cop or that your mom served in the, the, the waves or wax or that your uncle is in uh, Afghanistan right now. Ultimately, I respect most of those people. Then there are the ones who pee on the corpses of Talibanis. Yeah. That's, that's it. I wouldn't want to be without the police or, or the army. Actually, what would happen? I don't know. Would we be invaded? We've done that. We've done that. You know, so. That's it. I th have we exhausted politics? Or politics uh, for, for of tonight, the 80s? Yeah. We might get a second wind at some point in the future. But for now, I think that this uh, very nicely covers some of the cultural things that we wanted to compare and contrast. Uh, as suggested, like we said last week, by Dr. Kankles on the forum at simplysyndicated.com. Good show topic, dude. That was that was a good one. And one that I probably wouldn't have leaned toward if it hadn't been brought up. Because when I start to think about the 80s and 90s, I automatically go toward the bright, shiny neon things. Yeah, me too. Me too. Just keep them coming. There have, there have been a couple more in the past week that have posted in there about awesome topic ideas. We will probably get around to your topics at some point. But I will, uh, I will keep posting there. there. Yeah, that's the forums at simplysyndicated.com. Right up there on the top on the menu bar, there's a whole forums button and everything. Just click it. You go to the forum. Simplysyndicated.com backslash forums with an S. Should I change that? It would be a nightmare, actually. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm going to leave it. It's no, no one would mind. It's quirky. I'm not such a grammar Nazi that I'll force you to change that. It bothers me, though. I have to try not to think <laughs> about it. You're talking to someone who can't have the TV volume on an odd number. Oh, really? Oh, man, I do that, too. It has to be an even number or a multiple of five. So I can or, deal in with... some cases, when I get in a really weird mood, divisible by the number of the channel that I'm on. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> if I was better at maths, I'd possibly get onto that one. I'm on channel three. Nine is a multiple of three. We're fine. <laughs> wow. No, that, that one you might want to see somebody for. But yeah. <laughs> it's when just Allison the other day put the telly on 13. Why would you do that? Put it on Put it on 12 or 14. Just, yeah. Just, I don't care. Just not 13. Oh, and that, that's getting pretty out there. Yeah. That's it. Uh, if you want to email us, you can do so at remastered at simplysyndicated.com. We're happy to receive email and that sort of thing. It's like a forum, but it just comes to us. Um, we also accept your donations at simplysyndicated.com. We really, really, really need your help uh, to keep everything up and running and servers and things like that and shows like this one coming out to you. Uh, so we would welcome any help you can give us with that failing that if you're a little cash poor at the moment like most of us then a share on facebook or twitter would be awesome we'd really appreciate that and help spread the word about these shows um or if, like say if you are filthy stinking rich then millions of pounds please 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we're never going to turn away money. No, never. Never, ever. Nope. Sell out in an instant. Yeah. I, I once made a joke, and I didn't really get any negative feedback from it, but th that's okay. But I once <laughs> made a joke on Atomic Trivia War that if, uh, if Al-Qaeda did want to place an ad on our show, I'd gladly take their money. If they paid enough. That's right. I mean, the premium would be there. They, they, they'd pay a fancy fee. I'd have to get a new car and an iMac out of it, at least. I think. <laughs> There'd have to be a lot there. But, you know, failing that, what are they going to advertise for? People to blow themselves up? If you're daft enough to do that, you know, is an advert going to really have made your day? Or, I don't know. We'd air the advertisement and then make fun of it mercilessly. Yeah. Then we'd be blown up. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Sorry if you're listening to this. Don't blow me up. Please. I think we should have a club for the people who make it all the way to the end of this episode. Yeah, it's been a long one. They should have like a, a badge that they can pitch, pin on their chests. It says like uh, remastered club. Send ba money for badges. We need money for badges. That's a good one, actually. We should do badges and stickers. Actually, that's a really good idea. Let's talk about that off the air. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. We sure will. Bye-bye. Maybe talking about Star Trek? Oh. Okay. We'll ah. talk. Yeah. Cool. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye.